if I know I have to turn 200 million into like 20 billion, it takes a mountain of discipline to not immediately jump to a million defensive design decisions of like, oh, we can't piss them off, we can't piss them off. And then you're just gonna end up with vanilla like by tomorrow. And so it's really counterproductive. Their error outcome that everyone wants, I think is undermined by that same pressure and that's unresolved. So like, that's something I think like, you know, all of you in venture capital like can help figure out is like, and you could be nice about it, whatever, but people know how it works, right? It's worked the same for like 30 or 40 years. So they're like, we're gonna swing for the fences, but everyone who says they're swinging for the fences makes the most conservative calls ever. And I'm like, I don't Hey everyone, welcome to the first episode of All Chat, a new podcast where we're aiming to deliver an unfiltered view behind the scenes of some of the most interesting and current topics within the gaming industry, startups more broadly, and venture capital. Joining us on our kickoff episode, we have Stephen Lim, founder of Raidbase, and most recently the creator and executive producer of Valorant at Riot Games, the number one tactical shooter in the market and quickly becoming one of the most popular esports in the world. We also have Blake Robbins, an investor at Benchmark, a leading venture capital firm known for leading the Series A rounds of several of the most recent breakouts in games, including Discord, Riot Games, and That Game Company. Lastly, there's Brian and myself, co-founders of Patron, an early stage venture firm with a focus on games and consumer startups. Prior to founding Patron, we helped to scale Riot from zero to one, joining the company before League of Legends launched and helping to build out publishing, esports, business and corporate development as the company developed into one of the most valuable game companies in the world. Now let's dive headfirst into our first episode. Yeah, so maybe we could start there. Talk about um, what it takes to create a great game. You know, I think the there's like a split between creating a team that's sub ten people, and then you can also have like a triple A team. But yeah, I guess what are you guys seeing in the industry as it relates to like what does it actually take to create a, a very engaging game that gamers love? I think we're seeing a lot of things work. You know, I think before, like when I say before, okay, let's be specific. I think twenty twenty five years ago, there were just Budget, simple budget and tech limitations. That was like many, many obvious like um, hurdles in your face. So um, there was not a lot of money going around. Um, teams were, whether they liked it or not, were, 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 were small, like 20 to 30 people back then. Um, tech was ultra limited. So that seemed like the holy grail thing to like overcome graphics race and all that. Um, today, most of those things are not a problem. Like people are here to milk the gaming industry. So there's plenty of money around. Um, tech is relatively ubiquitous now because of Unreal um, and to some degree Unity. And, uh, and uh, small teams can do a lot. And underneath um, the tech made by those companies is like an ocean of tools made by, um, made because of the store ecosystems and all this. And so almost there's, there's a existing solution for almost everything you need. So a small team can do a lot more than it ever could. I don't think the indie, indie teams or devs or mod teams ever went away. Um, I think they've grown in, well, actually, I don't even know if that's true. Like they've been really influential this whole time. You think about like some of the biggest games we've loved forever, like CS was mod. Dota started as a mod. Like these are some of the biggest games ever. So I, I don't even want to say they grew. Um, I think we're more aware of them now and there's more of them for sure um i love that there are both examples of these monumental efforts like um you know the, the ones that like from software makes that um rockstar makes um starfield and bethesda um many of those have died i mean we recently just saw volition close um it, it, it's 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 hard i think to make a profit i mean the games are still $60 for like 10 years. I don't think that's fair. And so, you know, um, developers have had to get creative about like monetization and then players both responded in both directions. They both engage more in them and spend a lot more and also hate it, uh, rightfully so. Like it, both are valid and both are happening. Um, so I don't know. It's just like, it's, it's all over the place. It's just like it's the, the range is so great. There's many viable paths. Um, that leads me to think, like, why do it one way or the other? Um, what does your game need? Um, what is your team built for? And, and all that. Um, yeah, so, I, I, yeah, I think that's I think that's spot on. I think it's it's also like not only did the tech get better, but actually distribution just got completely opened up, and that like you don't need. I don't know. Twenty five years ago, it was like who did you know at Kmart or you know 
at Best Buy to distribute your games for you. And one of my bosses fact, at EA was uh, um, he came from Clorox. And then it was like, what exactly. are you doing at EA? It's because he was really good at getting a box on and a shelf. shelf yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, like, even that, uh, I think that was just such a major unlock on the indie side. Now, obviously, I mean, Steam, you just look at the top charts and, you know, the number of companies or number of games that are there that is just a small handful of people that didn't raise any money uh, is mm. is amazing. And then, you know, you think about mobile on, in the same way of like, man, uh, the, probably 99% of mobile games aren't venture backed. Uh, and, you know, it's just like, wow, this is, these people are all figuring it out, you know, creates these weird dynamics on mobile and even on, on Steam of, you know, a paid game, uh, I don't know, like BattleBit, which we were talking about before we started recording, but it's like BattleBit's $15 and, you know, that those, that team of three or whatever is, you know, I mean, they did very and economics well are great. Themselves. Yeah. <laughs> but, but they grinded, you know, they took a, they, they took a real bet on themselves. Uh, and I mean, that's the same thing with, um, uh, Stardew Valley. Yeah. That guy, the story goes, he, he, he started doing that to make a demo because he couldn't get a job couch surf for literally like seven years or something and then now he what made 250 300 mil but i think he's still a one-man team i don't think he hired a team i, I can't tell that he did I, yeah. I looked it up semi-recently and man like i think he, i think he partnered maybe. with someone to help get the mobile game out but otherwise it's all i mean the game is still him uh and then you know it's it's crazy like among us right like among us was also you know just like a team of two or three and it's like yeah. okay wow like some of the biggest games valheim that, five yeah. people yeah, like that, that we that we a, talk about are on, just yeah. these really small teams, and I think it's only to get crazier, right? Like, you know, I'm sure at some point we'll talk about AI and you know, the role of all that. And oh yeah, like, you know, in theory, it should get even the the quality of games should get even better uh, with you know even fewer people, which is amazing. You know, it just I, 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 I love like venture scale. I mean, just such a like a it's a nice like you know to see that it's possible. To have many many things to point at many many recent things to point at they're not few and far between in fact maybe the the the, the large gargantuan team thing are getting fewer and farther between i think they've always been relatively sparse just because um it it i don't think that's changed i think we've just added um all these other ones um, yeah which i think I mean, it's good for trees the industry has really grown a lot right even in the last 10 years you think about like internationally how much players in like Asia, like specifically China has like come into the market. Um, I think one thing I want to ask you guys is like, it feels like there's almost like a bifurcation. You see a lot of the indie game devs and, you know, a lot of these smaller teams being really successful, but on the AAA side or games that have like the lasting power, like the League of Legends or Valorant, um, you know, any of these like Blizzard games and service titles generally require just like massive teams. And in a lot of ways, like they become these monopolies, right? It's not like you're going to play like one tactical. It's not like you're going to play like three tactical shooters at once. You might play three different types of indie games in like a very similar genre. But when it comes to these games as a service, it becomes monopolies. And I, I guess what's your take there? Like, you know, I, I guess those are far and few between. But like, where do you think that side of the market evolves into? And I guess tied to that, like side, the indie side or the big side? The big side, yeah, like the AAA, the v, and a lot of these are like quote unquote VC backed companies, but. Um, what are you seeing? Like, how do you think that market plays out? Because it's clear, like, you know, the indie side is going to continue to grow. And yeah, that's kind of its own thing. I also. think their toughest challenge is um, this, like, $60, $70 thing. Like, people simultaneously feel bad about um, paying more, just even with the pace of inflation. Um, and to be fair, like, part of that reason I think that's the case and that why it's fair is... If the bar keeps going up $100, $120, the barrier to entry is getting really, really high for the average family or the average kid. That means they're going to go, we're going to go back to the era, which I think this was the case, like, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, where you get your like two games a year. So it's even, it stays really like hit driven. And so these games are hit or miss. So it used to be very, so regular that it was not even newsworthy that like a studio would die on their life. They could have four successful games and then die on the fifth. Because this is the economics just like don't work for it. Um, we're all more sophisticated now and want to find be more crafty about like hedging and and, and padding for that. Um, and it is really sad as the studios close. Um, so there's kind of like it's really rough in between. 
where um again like even like volition like such a such a um respected studio for so long can close you know after like one or two like misses they just don't have the padding um or that padding needs to be saved more responsibly maybe that's another thing to do um again with a tool being so good like do the teams need to be 400 people anymore 500 people anymore like they keep scaling as if the game will get better in proportion to the scale but that's super not tied together and everyone keeps running with that mantra like i don't understand like like gta was like 12 gta 5 was like 1200 people or something i don't know what that's counting like if that's counting contractors and sub studios and whatever but the next one's probably gonna be like two thousand people it's like you're not charging like two hundred dollars for a copy of the game so like it just puts them in a really rough position now they have the influence to like um get good reviews by influence or by force or yeah. by a good game all of those well, things put together the, like there's yeah. certain games that are like nintendo will never get a score less than 90 because who will dare to like <laughs> diss them right so i think gt like rockstar kind of has that also but one way or the other they like at those initial sales and so they're able to continue it but for the next like 20 studios that can't do that like they're just in a super rough spot so i mean they might launch gta rp yeah, as a, a service rumor. with the, the 5m and all that stuff. i would hope so <laughs> but i don't know that i haven't seen any evidence that that's what they want to do yeah. um, yeah. i wish that they would do that but they, i i i if anything, I've heard like the people maintaining those servers, uh, sorry, maintaining those um, world RP communities get zero out of Rockstar. So Rockstar isn't doesn't seem to be exhibiting any of the behaviors to want to do that. They seem like, well, I mean, in a way, I, I both lament it and also like in a way I admire like they know what they want to do and they know what they're good at and they stay their lane. I respect that too. Um, I do think it's a missed opportunity that maybe we can capitalize on um but uh or somebody should capitalize on um but uh yeah it it it's it just like it, it, there's like a big disconnect that no one has resolved between the price of the game um expectations um and then also like the numbers that are actually required to make that content the tools are so good these days like with our tiny team our, our environment team is like <laughs> literally um four people like from each of this one like an artist designer and en one engineer um what's the fourth one i think we have two designers actually uh placing stuff and thinking through the problem but uh and you think back to wow you know wow like everyone keeps everyone rightfully thinks like mmo is like such like the daunting amount of content and and all that but wow was shipped with 60 people <laughs> um to be fair like i think it was a crazy grind uh for them for a couple of years but um but uh but but they made a big world um very high quality throughout and they set a lot of precedent and they cleaned up a lot of things from from eq like it it you can do a lot with a relatively small team um yeah. and, the, and especially the tools are even better these days but but i think gt is a good example right like that's a type of game that's like probably impossible to go direct as a, like a venture funded startup. There's just, they just have like, oh, I, I wouldn't dare. Personally. Right? I, I, yeah, there are some I teams think... that want to go really big, like believer wants to go straight to really big. Um, and you know, they have the wherewithal to like, um, to, 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 to do that. And they, they have the force and the will to do it. I personally don't, um, I, I think it's too daunting personally. Um, especially with with venture back like you're, you're i'm presuming like venture backed means you're expecting 10 100x so you put in like 100 mil or 200 mil or whatever that costs like it has to be like all or nothing like, that doesn't seem to be right either that's like um crippling actually as an expectation to a team like if if i know i have to make like i have to turn 200 million into like 20 billion it takes a mountain of discipline to not immediately jump to a million defensive design decisions of like, oh, we can't piss them off. We can't piss them off. And then you're just going to end up with vanilla like by tomorrow. Um, and so it's really counterproductive, actually. So the very thing, the very outcome, I think, is undermined. The very outcome that everyone wants, I think, is undermined by that same pressure. And that's unresolved. So like that's something I think like, you know, all of you in venture capital like can help figure out is like, 
and you could be nice about it, whatever, but people know how it works, right? It's worked the same for like 30 or 40 years. So they're like, we're going to swing for the fences. But everyone who says they're swinging for the fences makes the most conservative calls ever. And I'm like, I don't, <laughs> you know, it's like these indie teams, like either because they don't know any better or they have the um, the guts to do it or, yeah. or, or whatever. Like they're the ones actually swinging for the fences. Like yeah. the, all these AAA, quote unquote, AAA teams swinging for the fences are, are the most conservative. Yeah, and the most I mean, bland and the most repetitive and the most like copycat like yeah none of them are doing anything um exciting i can't even I guess, think of one and, and blake you talked about this right at one point i think it was like you tweeted about um like vc back studios and, and i guess just generally like what's your take there like do you think studios are generally you know tough to find and if you are finding it as a vc like what, what would you guys like think about in terms of like attributes and I yeah, I think I think I was thinking about your initial question of you know like how the big players I don't know how it ends for them within all of this and you know on, on one end you have like the from softwares you have you know really really polished just crazy games uh, that in in let's put you know Rockstar and GTA in that as well where they can justify maybe even eighty ninety hundred dollars for their game just because people know and and respect uh, how good those games are going to be. I actually view them as like more in the movie realm of like you know there's always the trope of like uh, video game businesses like the Hollywood business. I, I view like those giants as like they're playing a different game. You know, like they're going for their big budget. They're going for their big swing and they know what they're doing and, and uh, they understand the risk. And there will probably always be a market for that. Uh, it just, I think it ends up being only a few major studios really crushed there. Uh, I think the indie side of this actually like competes more with that uh, than like what we, you know, what I think of on the venture capital side, which is, I think venture capital, at least today, for game studios, works best on a on a free to play you know, game uh, that is a games as a service uh, type model, and that that actually makes sense to continue funding uh, and like and, and can justify like, hey, I need twenty million dollars to launch, and I, I need to like get the cycle going to to really build out the pipeline of you know season one, two, battle pass, all the content within that. It's just a very different. You know, the thing that we look at in games is just like games investing is such a broad <laughs> term. But, you know, for at least, you know, benchmark, you know, we're, we're looking for a very narrow view of, of, of a studio and more specifically trying to like actually figure out how they're going to break through. You know, it, it's uh, you know, what is actually like their real unique insider belief of how they're going to break through. Uh, yeah. I think a lot of studios are building their dream game uh, and that's fine uh but there's also like it probably means their project didn't get greenlit within the studio they were in or something like that and it's like okay what's like the deeper reasoning behind all these things i I think think there's something something like how how do they break through right because at the end of the day uh, i think as i mentioned before like i think there's a lot of games that are building something that a lot of these large studios especially in asia like in china can easily replicate and they actually have the ip right they have the distribution it's easy for them to like basically build a clone. And I think like, you know, with League of Legends, the Dota from League of Legends, that leap took years, right? And you think about the leap from um, H1Z1 to like PUBG and to Fortnite, like that was like super condensed. And in the case of Riot, I think this is public, but like Auto Chess to TFT was like literally like weeks, if if not months. So like, I I think that cycle of like having a small team and trying to go after these giants like i think our fundamental beliefs and you know we might be wrong here but our fundamental belief is like you actually have to try to build something that these studios can't build themselves and it's just really hard for them to copy and and maybe it's because you have some like insane game design that they're not going to take the creative risk on and you can build like network effects around that or you're building a game that just like is like a different paradigm right like similar to how like like league of legends when it launched like people didn't even know what free to play was like that was associated with like games that were like really low quality, not triple a. Now, obviously it's like, it's, it's, it's flipped with like a lot of these games being just triple a quality now, but yeah, I guess, I guess that's like, the, that's, that's tough. Right. There's something that Blake brought up earlier too. I'm trying to recall, like there's a point that got me thinking, um, uh, you were saying, um, uh, free to play, um, mm-hmm. you know, where, where yeah. that makes a lot more sense. And uh, generally a game as a service, I think that's maybe like yeah. a foot, that's important to lead with. There are, I've also think I've been observing too many studios pre maturely committing to free to play. Hmm. Um, 
because free to play has the assumption that they are still in there three months, six months, 12 months in. And how many of those are there? Period. Like of any game, even for the games that we just listed, like Valheim's and the Among Us and the, um, and Battle Bit, like we don't know what the legs are. Like you can pay $15 and have an awesome time for a month. And that's like super high value ROI. Um, but is that's not the same thing as I'm playing Battlebit six months from now in a free to play environment, and I've pay, spent like my sixty dollars or something, or what are my LTV, LTV yeah. is, right? Yeah, yeah, but you, so, you bring up you bring up the big question of like, can you even back as an investor? Can you back a you know a premium game or a box good game that is the sixty dollar you know model? And like I, it, like that that those returns on that are just fundamentally different uh, yeah. because like it, it then becomes, even if it hits scale, let's say you, you hit 250, $300 million on, on the game as a premium game. Like that looks great. And you're happy and you have cash hopefully and you know, on the balance sheet, but like you're, you get discounted on like, okay, you have a, you had a hit. Uh, can you make another hit? <laughs> like, uh, and it's just a different fundamental business than, Mm-hmm. the typical software business that a, that a creator or like a, a, a venture capitalist is typically backing. So that's the big question. Maybe we're all talking ourselves out of venture backing games. Maybe this should, should maybe uh, it was uh, a nice uh, fun experiment that shouldn't have happened. <laughs> Wrap it up. We're over. Yeah. I, we're I we're done, boys. I think you can build like paid games that can become venture scale, right? Like PUBG started off as a paid game. Minecraft, like one of the most successful games. And even now it's still like selling copies. Like, that's a paid game. So I think it's like the question is, is like, can it be, can it be a great game as a service? And I think it's fine to Maybe leave with a, a it, paid yeah. product. Like, I think even at Riot, like, you know, they were never like judicious about like, it has to be, everything has to be free to play. It was more like what's going to create the best player experience. And I think if you could actually have a paid game where you get a lot of value for like 40, 50 bucks up front, and then later on you have like optional cosmetic DLC, like, I think that could work. Um, so I, I think, think that's our possible. general like um, uh, assumption and approach right now. Is I don't, I don't, I'm not yet confident. Like we hope to have a game as a service. We are designing it as a service. I don't know how sticky it'll be at any given moment. I don't know what it'll be at a day one. I don't know what it'll be at month six. And I think um, if we have something, and also I don't know what the heartbeat of the game will be. Like it could be that our game is intense enough that. Because we, we want to crank it up a bit, the intensity level on the stakes um, for the initial audience. And it could be that that works from a resonance standpoint, but is like fatiguing or something. Um, or, or like you just can't keep up that level of like um, pacing or excitement or investment. Um, I, I often talk about this as like um, a reason to like rally like the boys to like, okay, we're going to like do a thing for like, it's like the excitement of like a new MMO or expansion launch or like, okay, you know, what's coming, the dates announced and you're like prepping the wife, the kids, you're like, okay, I'm going to like clear the deck for like two months. I'm going to dive in. Right. Um, that, that's going to be gone for, for or a little bit. And, uh, and that's me, you know, like, so maybe, maybe like, you know, other people in other situations don't have that problem, but like, but, but I do think you, you need to rally some amount of that energy, um, even in your own head to keep that up, even if you love that kind of game. And so if it turns out our game is like really spiky for uh, a month or something like that, and people had a great time, they're super looking forward to the next one and it's successful from those angles, but it's not like we're forced to keep them in three months in, four months in and coming up with all kinds of gimmicks that even like erode that kind of like impression or or, or relationship uh, or undermines it for that next time, then I'm going to charge for it. I'm going to charge something for it. Um, And then I think there's like a fair trade. And then we get to live a, live another day to see that moment where maybe there are then like the ten doors we can walk through that make it more and more um, appealing for a steady state, um, and we can like kind of gradually add that or evolve to that. Then I think we can open the door. We can always back into free to play. Um, I it's hard for me to think of an example of a game that started free to play and then charged yeah. for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a few examples that are close, like. Uh, Rust started off in EA charging $15, and I think they charge like $50 now or something. Um, so they went that that reverse way. Um, so, uh, like, again, I'm glad to have all these examples. I think it just shows lots of different ways can work. I do think people need to be more thoughtful about what is right for their experience that they're yeah. going for versus, like, 
pre-committing, like we are going to be a free to play. Like, and then I always ask, like, oh, what, why are you free to play? And it's always the same reasons, like, oh, they lower better entry and all that. But I'm like, if no one's there in three months, like, yeah, <laughs> just dead. because like, a hundred million people can, can play your game doesn't mean a hundred million people will play your game. And so, just trying to use the fact that it's free and and it's possible as like the driver for that decision, which may or may not be best suited for the product. Because I think to Brian's point. You can have a paid model still be a service. Like you can have games and service, and you can argue a lot of games that have seasonal battle passes. Like there's a certain experience you have as a as a player having the battle pass, and then a very different experience if you don't have it. And so in that sense, it's almost like each time the new season rolls around, like you're paying to play that version of the game. And so I, I do think the you should be able to decouple this idea of like being paid versus being free from whether you operate it as a service. Yeah, I think Mitch has an old GDC talk. I think it's like 2012 or something crazy. And it, and, and he actually talks about free-to-play being a distribution innovation and not a business model innovation. Uh, and that he's like, free-to-play actually isn't a business model. Like, uh, like because there's so many different ways to do free-to-play. Yeah. Uh, and like, I don't know, back then it was, you know, like freemium, actual, like, you know, get the first five minutes you know, type stuff, then unlock the game. Like, it's all, I, I think it's, better to think of free to play as that's the way you are going to reduce the barriers to entry and get a bunch of people to play but how you actually monetize that and you know you still see mobile games that are still very much pay to win that that are technically free to play uh you know today we would be like that's a pay to win game but still technically accessible because it's free to play to start off and uh i think that's the, the other piece that I, I think a lot of founders maybe forget is like there is a lot of this ton pack of how you actually like it might be you know that your game just monetizes with the whales and whatever else it's just when you are a paid game you're in theory capping your audience on some level uh but if you're going after a hardcore audience like totally makes sense uh or like you're you know your niche very well like go after it but uh, and you don't have to stay yeah. there you could yeah. start there yeah. like, I, i'm curious yeah. for you slim like when you were at Riot and you're thinking about like, okay, we're developing a new game. Was there ever a thought of like, we would make a paid game where you're just like, of course the ethos is like, no, we're, we're games as a service company. And like, this is what we should be leaning in on. I think it's similar to now. I think both were possibilities hmm. um, that we deferred the decision on till later until we hmm. kind of saw the engagement pattern. And it was like a rougher notion then. It's a little bit um, like evolved now, but still you can tell like, I am just trying to keep my options open. Um, I think it's a call we can make later on for the most part. There is something to be said about like thinking about it early enough to help it feel integrated or a natural part of the game versus like tacked on. Um, yeah. I think I'm still within that window to defer it, I hope. Yep. Um, and also there's like, there's something, I think something to be said, well, we're far enough out. We're like still, I don't know, two, two and a half years out. And so I think in that time, people's opinions can change about what they're open or not open to, what we're going to be compared against. I think all those need to be factored in um, because essentially that's managing expectations, essentially. So if, yeah, so, so like, again, I think it's just pre-committing like two, three years out, you're just like, dude, the, the world's going to change so much by then. Like social, entire social platforms are going to come and go in that time. Like it. It's such a strange thing to pin against him. Sorry, it's a, it's a thing to pin against to me that seems um, relatively arbitrary, like <laughs> early on. Um, I don't think it's like that influential in the experience. Um, it can be really influential in the response, but I don't think like we're really like designing the game around a model in, in our in, in our cases. I know there are some games where it's like super dependent on that model. Um, those are like less i'm much less familiar with those but in relative like multiplayer pvp game spaces like it's um uh it, it doesn't seem like it's a it doesn't seem like it changes that much right now uh, uh, yeah um but i would say we blake mentioned kind of this r d process within riot like living in the shadow of league of legends which grew to be become the most played like pc game like i'm just curious like for I guess like everyone around the table here, like what what was the expectation for Valorant as the game was in development, and then what do you think like went right? What do you think went wrong um, that allowed it to be kind of where it is today as one of the most played games in the world? More more people play Valorant in some countries than they play League of Legends right now. So yeah, yeah. So for 
I had a really um, wide ranging experience there. So the person, my main stakeholder was Brandon. He was the one who like approved us to continue. And he and I had at most 30 minutes of conversation about business model for seven years. So there's that reference point. And then there's like, I would do these polls like periodically, like when all the senior producers get together, I'm like, all right, guys, if Valorant or um, or some of the other games in, in, in the process, like if we had 500,000 concurrent, do you guys think that'd be good? And I'd get all over the board. Some people were like, oh my God, we would be so dead. That'd be so lame. And other people were like, that'd be freaking amazing. Cause that's like, literally at the time would have been, been double triple quadruple like the number yeah. one game on steam so it's like people's perspectives were and expectations were all over the place and that was the case throughout the yeah. entirety like really that whole decade of 2010s it was all over the place no one agreed on any of that stuff um so that left me in a position where um it was both like daunting because there were some people there were enough people with like ridiculous expectations and also freeing in that I didn't have to give a shit because <laughs> there was like, um, my main stakeholder didn't care. And also, um, and also, uh, uh, people couldn't agree anyway. So I could in a way like, uh, slip under the radar. So in a case like that, my brain goes to, I want to please someone somewhere. Um, and it needs to be more than just me basically, because we're not about to, even if it's not a mon even if it's not a, um, directly a monetization thing like we're not interested we're not trying to waste a bunch yeah. of years of our lives um, developing a game that no one cares about so um, out of a matter of even personal pride like we want to resonate essentially so i i focused on um resonant properties while letting go of specific numbers so i'm like this property should unlock or unblock this community and this community is sitting next to this community so i kind of like think of it as like spidering yeah. out uh, by principle, and I couldn't tell you at any given time what the numbers would be, and I think anyone's guess would have been wrong. One of the things I, I, um, the, the thing I got the most criticism for throughout all of Valorant was this is such a niche game. I got that all day long. This is too hardcore, such a niche game. Um, I remember someone... that. I remember a lot of people were like, why aren't you building a Battle Royale? Because like when Valorant was in yeah, the development, everyone was, you know, like, yeah. like PUBG and Fortnite was like really blowing up. And, and I think it was just like the bias is like, dude, you're building a game that's like 10, 20 years old. Like no one's going to play Counter-Strike, right? And then Yeah, yeah. Blood it's like Blood Red, Red like, Ocean. Cool. I, 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 I heard, I heard yeah. it all. And like, um, but I, if you look at it from a lens of making a a shooter period you see a blood red ocean if you see it uh, in, by the time you hit like mid 2010s you have like 20 to 30 dead uh overwatch like um uh mimicking games so like character based abilities um there's like already 20 of them or whatever that died um, a bunch of them were high, high profile and then, then you would say like um uh yeah you you, you basically say um that, that 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 was like um, a, a limited opportunity. So, but we always saw it as a competitive game, um, and I think it's we have to take care about defining what competitive meant. Competitive did not mean esports. I think esports is a subset of competitive, but to me, competitive is somewhat simply defined as like you care about winning. Um, there are a lot of games of winners and losers that you don't care. Like you could play a Call of Duty match, and whether you win or lose, whether you leave the match early, whether you join a match late, like it, it, the stakes are so low, like you don't really care. Yeah, it's high stakes, um, high stakes yeah, competitive. Yeah, it's, it's like high stakes competitive. And if you look at it from that angle, there's only league. <laughs> there technically was still like StarCraft. There's technically, um, oh sorry, th there was Counter Strike, but Counter Strike was like really um, steady state. Like CS one six was like at the time like. You know, 7,500,000 concurrent and it was just staying there. Global Offensive was like third place. A lot of people don't remember. Global yeah. Offensive stayed two years at 25,000 concurrent. It was effectively dead. And many studios would have just given up on it. Um, Valve kept it going and then consolidated and it climbed you know, um, into 400k by itself um, before Valorant came out. And so when I think about the criticism of Valorant appearing to be too niche at the time, um, Everyone was saying, like, look, you're going to split the pie with uh, with Counter-Strike. 100,000 players, like, that's all there is. And then and then Counter-Strike grew to 400,000. You know, you're going to split the 400,000 player pie. Um, today, 
Valorant is like north of 1.5 million concurrent somewhere. I don't even know where it is, what, what it would have climbed to. Counter-Strike doubled since Valorant came out. It was around 450,000 at the time, and it's now over a million. Um, and so the whole pie grew five to six X. And uh, I think there was like somewhat of a reawakening of, oh yeah, like there's a, we love competitive games. These games that play like a sport. There's a lot of people out there who with like that competitive sport mindset and like they don't have a lot of alternative experiences out there for that or, or, or companies that could deliver that well on it. There's plenty of offerings um, technically, but not many with the capability of Riot to actually deliver an like, ecosystem and spend the money on expensive servers for anti-cheat and, uh, and, 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 and server frame rate and all the things that you need. Um, so that means that there's very few like options for if you want that experience and you remembered you like that kind of experience you're looking for it you really only have like a few games to turn to um and so in that way i was never surprised that um that we would get a very positive response i again even while saying i, I, don't, I don't know what that number is could have been um it doesn't surprise me that there that's counter strike and valorant live concurrently um that part doesn't surprise me at all um, I didn't know that they were each going to reach these numbers and who knows what it becomes later also and how long it lasts for all those things. I don't know. I don't know how they're going to maintain it. You know, um, my head is not in that competitive space anymore. Um, but, but yeah. Was there, was there ever a debate of using league IP or was it always? Yeah. Or, okay. Brandon was up. up on my butt all the time about like, you sure you don't want to use the league IP? Because sure they invested a lot. So I think he's coming from a perspective that the company was investing In so much from into early. the league IP at yeah. the time because yeah. they were developing Arcane and they were developing um, other other uh, yeah. genre games within league IP. So yeah. it was like, so he had a good point. It's like, do we, you sure you like don't want to let this, uh, let this um, uh, waste? And so I think the reason why it didn't make sense for us is I think if you're in league IP, there's yeah. some amount of expectation for Melee. Um, and uh or, or short range or projectile combat and that's potentially viable i think that's but i think it's a very different game like we were from the beginning we wanted like hit scan and like um really tight corners and that kind of thing so that alone i think was a good was, was to me a good reason to not use league ip um for the sake of this particular game but yeah. um there's always been rumors about like uh, a dota themed um shooter and I don't know how that would feel like, but um, but that you can more easily imagine a Overwatch style action yeah. shooter kind of thing in that um, in that kind of IP. And that's where I was like, I usually um, <laughs> it's funny that I'm saying all these things because I usually think like I, I, I underweighted yeah. IP. I'm not like an IP creative guy, so I, I, I for a long time I just felt like you gameplay could, was um, the essentially yeah. slap on like yeah. different IP. Yeah. And uh, well, I'm sure I more... you have like strong IP, right? Same thing with, I guess you can argue Fortnite. I mean, it's an IP, but it's not it's more like, like a the, playground like for external IP to be able to blend in. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I, I, I'm in more of that camp, although like in this particular case, I think IP yeah. does affect the gameplay or the gameplay affects and, the IP. And I would actually say like the fact that, I mean, the benefit of League IP is everyone who is familiar with League would want to try it out because they could play these characters in a different way. The, I guess, unintended, but now like realized benefit of having original IP is that they were able to create a different kind of theme and feel that appealed to a much, you could argue a much broader audience around the world that wasn't necessarily playing league in love with league and in love with like league's fantasy style. Um, and so, and I think one thing which was pretty effective as Valorant was launching was doing these regional cultural themed agents that launched with like, specific music, specific art, specific animation. Uh, and it, it really made the game feel like it belonged to everyone around the world, as opposed to it was from this, this from Freljord or Demacia or some other unknown place. Um, and then even now with like launching the, the maps and having the maps be based on recognizable parts of the world, I think is other ways to just make people feel like the game is like, they're a part of the game. That part was very intentional yeah. on our part. Like I, um, uh, I, th I think we wanted to connect. We saw, we hoped that the game would be a global yeah. competitive shooter. Like if anyone had the potential, uh, we have to rewind a little bit. Like in 2013, 
every their region had their own yeah. different shooter. So if anyone, I think, could make one that was popular globally, and I don't mean like big numbers of audience, I mean literally in other in, relevant in many regions, it would be Riot. So I don't think Valorant is what it is coming out of any number yeah. of other companies at all. Like I, I think it is specifically tailored to Riot, and Riot like is a specifically a good environment for Valorant um, for that reason. And to me, that was like the number one mission. Um, that would have been my number one mission. If I was still there, I would have been like, we're not done until it's like relevant in the, in the major regions and then, and then many regions beyond that. And of course the big like elephant in the room was it wasn't released in China and it took like whatever, three, three, three years after launch for it to get approved. Um, and it was really like, kind of seemed like it was out of the blue, like that it finally got approved. Um, but I'm glad for that. And then also the whole time we were watching like um, game metrics for, uh, for Korea, and it was it was like very it was probably the thing I was most surprised by that we made a really competitive game that should have worked in Korea. It didn't. What happened? And I wasn't there to watch and see what happened. So I have like no details. Like, was the launch botched? Was it COVID? Was it like PC bombs? Was it like install? Was it was it Vanguard? Uh, people refusing to install Vanguard in like um, PC bong environments? I have like no idea. Um, uh, no 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 real idea. And so um, we were really sad. I was really sad about that. I was like. <laughs> Did we mess something up or is Korea like did, did the competitive audience in Korea age out and everyone's fucking casual right now? Like, I'm like, look at the, the like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm popular you, for like I'm, seven I'm, I'm years. Like, know, it was all a ruse to allow North America to win a world championship. And now that that's happened, if the game's yeah, going yeah, to let it in go. both Korea and yeah. China and then like North America is not going to sniff, sniff another. Yeah, that's yeah. just done. Is it yeah. doing well in Korea? Is, is it How's it's it like number now? three in Korea it's right now. Yeah, it's still, yeah, I think there's. It's been like yeah. this for like a year. I mean, League is still number, number one, one though, by a right? lot. Yeah. By, by far. far. It's not even, it's not even yeah. close. Yeah. It's like 40, it's still yeah. like close to 50%. Well, Valorant bounces like number three, four, and five yeah. always change. Number yeah. twos have been yeah. FIFA for a long time. But three, four, five, they're all like within like a percent of each other. So depending on who's promoting what, they're always like bouncing around. But yeah, I've seen Valorant as high as like like 9%, I think, of playtime, which is like. Pretty good. Uh, it's better than it was because it was like not even on the list for the for whole yeah. first year. So I was like, we freaking died in Korea. I was like, I think having like, having a vibrant esports scene that people care about is is important in Korea. And now that that all these like large organizations are investing, I think that that uh, that was and then the China also sure. taking uh, like being able to take it more seriously with their local servers is going to make the whole region a lot more. Although I don't know how to explain Overwatch still then, if that's the case. Sure. How do you explain Overwatch being popular in Korea for like eight years or whatever? I, I'm like, was that a sign of the times? Like, is this next audience uh, um, really like that casual? Should we all just pivot to casual games? Is that should we all making cozy games? Maybe that's why it's so popular. Maybe there is wisdom to that. I guess why don't we add farming to Overwatch and, uh, and 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 then we'll just uh, call it a. What, what do you guys think about like boomer dad games? Versus like games that kids grow up playing today, right? Like, you know, obviously like Roblox. I mean, we all grew up with like Counter-Strike and some of these PC stuff, but now you have a lot of kids like, and they're, for them, like mobile is your native platform, right? A lot of them don't even play on PC. And, and, and in the States, it's obviously like console still like crushing it. What do you like, picture when you say dad games? Dad game is What like properties does it have? Keyboard, mouse, like not like third person or first, you know, first person camera. It could be like top down, like a lot of... You know, it's like, I don't know, like, it takes elements from RTS, Dota, um, like, really long like session League, times. League is a dad like game, and then Mobile Legend, games. Bang Bang, is a... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, like, World of Warcraft, I don't know. Like, those games that we grew up with, right? StarCraft, like, what's your guys' take? Is it really so, like, do a lot of the younger gamers actually, like, become hardcore gamers? Because um, I've actually, I've also heard that Diablo 4 isn't resonating well with like a younger audience, right? Like that game's selling really well with like older gamers, but not with the younger dem demographic or they, they don't care as much about that IP. So there's a lot of things take? like flying through my head in this like conversation. We hold certain things precious that yeah. they don't know. Like we, we, we've grown up with some of these IPs to us, like Diablo four should be a big deal. They're looking at it fresh. or just like, they're looking at this thing with like, blood and guts and whatever and it's like does it appeal to me today or not um or, or the game but like the game doesn't the game is gorgeous in its own way but it's um 
it also looks like um many games that came before like if you just look at like i'm hitting this monster and i'm and and, and loot pops out and you're already like drowning in games that are like are loot baiting you it's not special it doesn't look special or different in that way so they don't have that attachment um and they don't see it with that premium um because they already have like 30 games like that on roblox that are like loot baiting them and like um and, and that are like you know uh, that are already like loot pinata um uh kind of games um and so it, if you look at it, I think if you think about it that way, the value prop isn't there. Um, even though the graphics, we would think they would, they would care about graphics. My daughter defaults to Roblox despite being one of the few four, oh, fourth and fifth graders that touched um, Valorant, Overwatch, um, Diablo 3, and like, I know, I'm a responsible <laughs> that, that I, I don't push any of these games on them. <laughs> I just let it happen and to see what happens. Um, and she cho- she doesn't give two shits about it. My boy doesn't care at all about games with better graphics. He does not care even a tiny bit. Um, and apparently the bajillions of kids playing Roblox, they don't care. Um, and so that all the more, like when I hear like what I call like dinosaur language out of developers that are like, so still proud about like the graphics arms race and like their 400 person content teams. I'm like, yeah, you haven't talked to a kid in ever, ever. <laughs> never, <laughs> or you haven't been watching YouTube yeah. ever. Like you'd have to literally be, you know, you have to have your head buried in the sand. And, and I think it goes to show like how many of our peers are not up to date. Um, and it, I try to be really hard to be up to date and I know how, f- I, I know I'm very far behind. And like it, we're in a position, I think, to make these decisions and we bear that responsibility and we make these huge assumptions and leap off to spend other people's $100 million. And then we're all like surprised Pikachu face after like, how come no one showed up to my awesome like next gen game made by my AAA world class team? And like, no one cared. Like for the last 10 years, no one's cared. Um, and yet we still like hang our hat on that. It's like so um, it's 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 really outdated. Um yeah, I, I think I think that's right. I think it's it ties into even the beginning of this conversation of you know, it's why these small games like a battle bit is breaking through. Uh, when the game you know, is fun. the game has yeah. features that Battlefield doesn't have. Yes. I love that three people are dancing circles around like dice. <laughs> like dice should have a fire under its ass. Like like you know like like they have body drag in there, and yeah. all they do is pin the like chest bone to the knee bone of the other character, and you're like, I'm dragging a body. You don't spend like eight months trying to get the hand, the reverse IK around the guy's shoulder and pull it. Like, no one needs that shit. Like, you know, like you just implement this in like two days, and it's like I'm dragging a body. Like, you know, um, it, it. And your brain, our human brains, all relative. I think we just like normalize that. Like, you either vote to try it or not based on that initial impression. But once you're in, you renormalize to that, and then that's your normal. And so when it's like supposed to be all high fidelity and it's not, it seems janky. But if you're already in and you just see the thing just ragdolling and like it's just funny and you don't care. So like I think we just forget like humans are like just relative we're wired to be relative. Like doesn't that there's something I love um using as an example where um to, to prove the point. Like most people have no concept about absolute numbers. So if you say how how long do you think how many days do you think a million seconds is? Do you guys know? You guys might already know this because I know you're all brainiacs. A million seconds is 11 days, okay? 11 something days. How then, but by that same kind of like language, like how long do you think a billion seconds is? We all know a billion is a thousand, a thousand of that, right? I don't want to give you too long to think about this because it's literally a thousand times 11 days, but how long is yeah. it, right? It's 32 years. It's so different, right? But people are like a billion, a mil- they almost use it interchangeably. But, the, but we can all appreciate the difference between 11 days and 32 years because in our human lives, one is half your life and the other is next week, right? So it's like, it it, it just goes to show people can't appreciate hard numbers at all. Um, I, I think we have to realize humans are like relative beings. So you need to just realize where you need to be relative to like an expectation and where you want to be like more than that. And um and and I think when you don't have an accurate picture of that starting expectation or you set a crazy expectation up front, which you do when you use the words like AAA team and from the makers of like whatever, like you are 
you're digging your own grave, I think. You're like setting this crazy expectation that no one had at a time when you can't really deliver on it. And then again, we're all surprised like, oh, it's like it didn't do well or did well. Like the the language I hear that like Wild Rift didn't do well. I'm like, the thing made like more than a billion dollars. Like how, what universe we live in where that sucks? Like, yeah, maybe it didn't do relative to expectations of like that that we that we ourselves set. But does that mean it wasn't? It, like, it's also trends over time. Maybe At yes, a point in time, know. it could be disappointing, but it can become very undisappointing, like over a longer period of time. And so, yeah, I mean, league league didn't necessarily have like league. The, and the whole team. thing was like yeah, it took a long time to scale the user base. Over I think many, years, it, so. many of these games could have a very different outcome if it had the chance yeah. to grow. But everyone wants that big initial splash so that they can post it on LinkedIn, but, but or like their websites, or going whatever. Going back to and our, like, our original, and they keep making these big yeah, ass like, bets. Like League for League that raised like fifteen million before we shipped, or probably less, like ten million before we shipped the game. These other studios are raising like hundreds of millions of dollars before they launch the game, and so I think the expectation and the time you have to grow is also based on the expectation around what kind of funding you raised and how much the company's worth before you have a single player, but. I think like it's worth pausing to like reflect on like uh, for for each of us to reflect on what we're doing there. Like high score is not uh, high score in the shortest period of time can really undermine the whole thing. Like a lot of these games were like grew over time. A lot of these huge, like even the the Silicon Valley like winners, like many of them grew over time, and. I think we need to pause to like remember that uh, all this impatience to me. I, you can tell my bias. I'm like maybe on the other extreme, but like I, I, I think all this impatience directly undermines the, outcome. the very outcome yeah. we're all trying to chase. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think game studios take a very long time for them to be successful. Maybe um, unless you're like riding on some crazy wave, like Riot did with like free to play and Twitch, and Supercell did with mobile. Like, I, I think if you're building a lot of the traditional stuff, like Epic, Larian, like these guys took like. 20, 30 years, right? For them to like get to work. Yeah, Larian, like, I love Larian as an example. I don't know it super well because I didn't play those games very much and I don't know that space very well, but it, it's almost seemed like this elegant thread of like, they were inspired, you know, by D&D stuff and Baldur's Gate. They made a better, like modern version of that and they like had to earn their stripes to, re- to actually earn the actual IP. Like, it's such an awesome story. And then, you know, like they're, I just was watching their, their, um, the video they put out to announce that they got the 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 D license like back in 2019 and they made some video that to me is kind of cheesy but it's also like really endearing because it just shows like they don't give a fuck they just like show the super their ceo literally dressed up in actual armor in that video it's like so nerdy but i actually super love it that he like loved to do that so much you know um and rallied his own studio around it like and it clearly worked i mean that game is like a love letter to that and, and and then the audience and the commercial response like was commensurate to that like it, it that, to me that's like the perfect scenario like it could not have gone like more perfectly and i think there's so much to admire about that um but too many games these days are like um what's the best opportunity what are the metrics okay extraction uh is one of the few things and then it's just like they back into it with their brains and there's ob- there's definitely many examples of that working but I think when you only do that, you miss, I think there's something to be said for being immersed in that audience, because then you know the hundreds of tiny decisions you need that are also qualitative in addition to quantitative to build up that experience. Otherwise you're like stunted. You're just, you had maybe a good framework, but not, uh, not all the you know, you put together this like clay human and it's like, it's, fucking <laughs> it's like at the end, you're like, like I knew what a human was supposed to look like. Two arms, two legs. It's kind of there, but it's like, this thing looks like shit. And it's like so many games, I think when you only do the brain part, it, it's just that it's like, it looks kind of human, but it's like, it's just not right. You know? Um, and, uh, and, and I think there's that people, um, I think because, the qualitative part is so hard to measure and so hard to prove under the gun of like board meetings and quarterly updates that people just like fall in this perpetual circular trap of like, you tell your stakeholders what they want to hear. You do all this, you ask your team to prep for that meeting. It's all quantitative. Um, 
you show some pretty pictures to shore up the qualitative part um, and then and then call it a day and then everyone's happy and everyone pats each other on the back after the meeting and then two years later you have so a, it's a VC back VC back game studio sim you can just <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Oh, it's not only, I don't think it's this VC back. I think this, it's this exact same dynamic yeah, internal studio. studio. Yeah, it's this internal, it's, yeah. it's the same thing. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, it, 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 again, there are winners in that approach. And I think by now the overwhelming evidence is it's a losing approach, like in the vast, vast, vast majority of cases. And yet we keep doing it. Why? <laughs> we're so, we think we're so smart and so fancy. Why do smart, fancy people still keep making glaring mistakes like I, I i'm i'm just perplexed i'm like i don't how do we keep doing this to ourselves um yeah i don't know i, I don't know I if you guys have opinions on that like what why yeah but on the flip side i, I do think like there's gonna be i remember when um like blizzard and wow was like super successful like a lot of developers at the time said like there's never going to be an online game as successful as wow people said the same thing about like EverQuest and all those things, like, I think at that point in time, it feels like things can't change and there's like these entrenched players, but, um, yeah, I just, I, I think like when you think about even riot story, how like Brandon and Mark were like straight out of USC more or less. And even like supercell, like these kind of companies where it wasn't very obvious at the time, but they end up being different things. I think the takeaway for me after talking to you guys is just like, it feels like, um, it's going to be like those like less obvious companies that end up making it, or maybe like it's look like at what it's been. Like, they, like if you look at the team that made any of these things that that we talked about, from Tarkov to um, Valheim to Battlebit, they're like a bunch of rando yeah. teams that weren't like from these storied studios. And then if you look at the other way too, how many they, of the yeah. like storied studios actually produce anything? Like you have twenty years of Blizzard to watch, and then you have five to 10 years of, of riot to watch. Um, I want it to work. Like I want, I think all these teams are able to make a good game, but I think we get in our own way a lot of times um, and make a lot of these counterproductive like decisions or, 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 or behaviors and something is off. Um, it should work better than it is. And it hasn't been, if you just look at the actual cases and yet at the same time, like how, if it, if, if a lot of these innovations come from these teams that you cannot predict, how do we find them? Like, what do you think we should do to find them? Like the closest thing that I've seen be effective is what Valve's doing. Like they make an environment for them yeah. to come to them. They don't have to find them. They just like, they come to them and then they just filter and they don't care that there's 2,900 games that die in a year for the three to make it because they're not, they're just like agnostic about it. Um, there is no studio that is equipped to take that many shots. Not even close. You could, you, it tended to be too much. Um, so no, like I, I, that's another thing that was a big conversation throughout the uh, 10 years of um, leading R&D at Riot was the thing I got the most was, why don't we take more shots on goal? Like we're too slow. We're, we, we, we don't have enough shots uh, in the pipe. How do I get my game started? And I'm like, we can't take enough shots. If you, there's, if you look at the stats of like which ones make it, it's so terrible. Like we're not going to make a hundred games for yeah. one to make it. Like we're just not, we're not built to do that. There's not enough yeah. leaders. There's not enough programmers, not enough artists. So it's a losing proposition to start, but you also can't do nothing. So that's a, so like they were, they had a point, but just not to, I think to the degree it was like emphasized or weighted. Um, so what now? But, like, what do we do? Like what yeah. shots do we take? How do we find these people? Like, that's that's, but, but that's what yeah vc is good for right is it gives you again i don't think i think we talked about this like i don't think every game studio needs to be venture backed in most cases they probably shouldn't be but i think for companies that do want to try to build the next riot or like these massive companies why not and i think it just depends on the product what you're building um and it's also probably going to be like things that people aren't expecting like products that that just doesn't on the surface level doesn't seem like it's going to get there but eventually ends up being like the next league right so yeah. also most of them the examples we can think of you can fish out of minecraft mods yeah and maybe that, that that's um, like the good i'm ground. really surprised yeah. that most aren't doing it yeah, yeah. like I, i've been paying attention to it for a long time but it doesn't seem like people realize how many of the games in the past decade it's like almost all of them <laughs> except for except for uh valorant and overwatch 
like almost all the games we've mentioned were born out of Minecraft mods. And I don't, I don't, people somehow still haven't like made that connection. Like Minecraft mod is like the breeding ground for like all this. Um, yeah. Or, or combinations of, of Minecraft mods also. Oh, yeah.